have, uh, we have some special guests, like five rows worth um, of the Moore family. And uh, let's give it up for the Moore family that are here. So glad you're here. Um, and and uh, yesterday, uh, Pastor Cameron and I uh, drove out to, well, the reason a lot of them are here, a lot of them aren't from this area or this state. Um, Pastor Fred Moore, which is John Moore's father, in, that you're familiar with, John, and his family attend here. Rhea and Sydney, John's daughters, are up here every Sunday. Um, Pastor Fred Moore served faithfully in ministry for how many years? 55 years in ministry. And uh, yesterday we drove over to, to the, the funeral. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll just be honest with you guys. I, I cannot, I didn't know your father, but I cannot get his, that sketch out of my mind. I think that um, that legacy, there's got to be a more powerful word than that. But that is a legacy that I know, I'm seeing it on your face, that is just mighty. That will carry not just to y'all, but from generation to generation to generation. So keep carrying that torch. And thank you for your faithfulness. And we're so glad you're here, all of you. And uh, what a powerful, powerful testimony and legacy that was. I sat um, just before the service as well uh, uh, with the the Felt family um, who uh, lost a loved one this week as well. Uh, Another great uh, woman of God uh, that's, her funeral's this coming Tuesday, uh, Charlene. Steppy, and um, that is Jake Felt, you see up in the sound room's uh, grandmother. Um, and so, so if you think about, I was thinking about here this morning, and, um, and y'all, sound and everything has been really, like, everything's been really hard for them. They've been working really hard. They've been here a lot of days, like, trying to fi- fix things and adjust things. And I'm sitting here this morning looking at this team that's represented. There's a couple families up here that have been through um, they've lost some really, really amazing close people uh, even this week, in the last couple weeks. And so let's just um, encourage them, love on them if you see them. Uh, there is such a powerful, I'm affected by it, powerful legacy when somebody of that age, of that faithfulness goes on to be with Jesus and not just reunited with their loved ones, not just to be able to see their impact on this world come alive, but to see Jesus. Wow. Wow. All right, I should probably get into the sermon. Um, But we are so glad you guys are here, and what a sacrifice they've paid to show us what it looks like to be in the family of God you're at Luke 9. Today is a, a simple message. A simple message about discipleship, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to sacrifice your life. In fact, I, I want you to see this this morning. 
Uh, I typically have some type of quick, simple statement that I'll like say several times so that you remember and walk with. I started with a short one, but it ended up being really long. So you'll have to bear with me. So you have to see it loud and clear this morning. I want to say, and you need to know that Jesus has chosen you to be a part of this no ordinary family of God because he knew you would be a blessing even through the brokenness. All right. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's go to Luke 9. Luke 9, verse 3 says, And he said to all, there's a lot of context here. He's foretelling, this is Jesus foretelling of his, his death. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to you and to me. God's word is alive and active and powerful and ready to change even you this moment. But zoom into this moment. Jesus is challenging his disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple? Hopefully we walk away this morning with that understanding. But Jesus says it this way. If anyone would be my disciple, if whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Jesus says a lot of things here, and there's a lot we can dive into, but I want to specifically point out the second part before we go any further. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life will save it. Jesus ultimately is challenging us as if you're trying to hold on and soak in everything in life that it's about you, you're going to lose it. You're going to come to the end and you're going to look back and you're like, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. But my guess is that even like these, these legacies in the last few weeks that they came to the end of their life and they looked back and they saw the lineage of faith that they left, the impact and the time that they served their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they did not feel that that life was vain or empty. They gave their life to Jesus and they sought to bring others to Jesus as well as a disciple. Um, Think about it from this angle. If you try to hold on too tight to something, you're going to lose it. Um, <laughs> my boys, uh, specifically uh, Zion, <laughs> Zion, uh, Zion and Declan, they are, they're 13 months apart. They're my middle boys. They, I have five kids, but they're like right in the middle. And they're, we call them the twins because they've always kind of been the same size. And they just kind of always are together bouncing around and whatnot. And uh, Zion specifically went through this stage when we first uh, moved into uh, our small little farm. And he would catch these things. And I remember specifically, he would catch, like, whether it was uh, uh, bugs or specifically this one time I remember catching a big, giant frog. And he loved hanging onto this frog. Like, he just would walk around with it. And he was a habit. It was a habit. He just, like, walk around with the frog. He wouldn't bring it in the house, you know, yeah, you just like walk around with it. 
And I remember there were several frogs um, because frogs didn't last. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know if they just heat up over time or they just, I think what it would happen is I would watch him. He's, I'm like, bro, you're holding on too tight. You're killing the thing, man. Um, and unintentionally over time with like this poor frog is like, I'm losing my life, man. You're hanging on too tight. That's the idea. And when we hang on too tight, and we think that this life is all there is, and this day is all, it's like, it's all me, it's, just, it's all I got. We're gonna... But if we lay down our life sacrificially, sacrificially, we will truly live. This is what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus has chosen you to be a part of this no ordinary family of God because he knew you would be a blessing even through the brokenness. He knew that you would be a blessing even through the brokenness. Welcome to church. Being a part of the family of God is being at church. So when you lay down your life and you sacrifice your life to follow Jesus, you become, you come into this family called the church, the family of God, the church. And if you've been around church long enough, and you look around, you start to see some brokenness. And if you're honest, you look in the mirror, you know that there is brokenness as well. In fact, if you're here today and you feel broken, or you have brokenness, you're in a good spot. You're in a good spot, because the ultimate process of Becoming one with Christ, the whole process of becoming a disciple, the whole process of growing in faith, maturing in faith, is simply going from brokenness to blessed. You're always on that road. You're always on that road. Because ultimately, God isn't just saving you to save you. He's saving you from something, yes. From your sin, from your punishment, from the sacrifice that he gave to save you, to be with you forever and ever and ever in heaven. But he's also saving you to something. He's saving you so you can be a mission, so that you can be a blessing to not just your own family, but to your church family, to your city, to your workplace. He wants you to be on mission from no matter where you're at, you're on that road from brokenness to blessing. And I think this only, why I'm bringing this up right now, is this only happens when we understand that we are sacrificing our life, and if we try to hang on to it. Listen, if this morning you're hanging on to that brokenness, if all you see is your own brokenness, you're squeezing that frog to death. Jesus wants you to literally come to an altar and give up. Release. Release. Surrender. Empty of self so he can fill you with his spirit. And you become a new creation. A new creature in Christ. But then you get up and you're a blessing to those around you. So you may be here today and you feel that brokenness in yourself. Or maybe you're here, and, and I don't hear this often, I love conduits culture, but I need to remind you too, 
you may come to church and you're looking past your brokenness and you're looking around. I see all kinds of brokenness. Brokenness, 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 brokenness. Like you're like, I, oh yeah, y'all don't see my brokenness, but I see your brokenness. You need to know, you need to know you're in a good place because you're broken too. I'm broken too. We are saved and made whole in Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to say we're in this, like we're broken in pieces and we're junk. I'm not saying that at all. Part of it is this process of maturing in Christ, conforming to his image, being just like him in the family of God. You see, the family of God is marked not just by scooting over to let people in your pew and being part of the family of God. It's not just marked by that. It's not just marked by you like being okay with people being here and I know that there's some extra chairs we brought out today. That's great. It's not just about making a space for people to be here. Being a part of the family of God is understanding your own brokenness, understanding your own process of wanting God wanting you to be a blessing, getting a high from being on mission and being a blessing with the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit through your life to the honor and glory of the Father, your own joy on mission to others, and you don't stay in this place, and you get out there, and you go find them, and you bring them in. That's the point. Being the church isn't just being here. Being the church is an active, participating sport in your home, your church, your community, your city, excuse me, your workplace, coaching soccer, on Facebook, especially in the comment section, wherever it is. Representing Jesus every single part of your life. The family of God is not marked just by scooting over to make space for them, but it's sacrificing your time, your talents, your treasure, your life to go find them and bring them in. That, that, ladies and gentlemen, is great sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. You give up. You're everything. To let them in. You give up your time. Your talent. Your treasure. In order to grow and expand. The, did you hear what Amanda was saying? What has she given up in order to expand and grow the kingdom and the love and the family of God? She wants everybody to know that they're chosen to be a part of this no ordinary family of God. Because God knows that for them, for that mom, that he knows that she's going to be a blessing even through the brokenness. This is life changing. But I need to rewind a bit because I think this gets a bit complicated. Wow, that's not really working out that great. There we go. We'll back it up right to that. You guys still with me? All right. 
We are super polished here at Conduit. Just want to let you know. I'm a super polished guy. Jesus has chosen you to be a part of this no ordinary family of God. Um, go back to Luke 23, 9.23, excuse me. If anyone, whoever wants to be my disciple... must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So according to this verse, what is the prerequisite in order to be a disciple of Jesus? Deny yourself and... It's on the screen. (laughs) Three of them. (laughs) To... Just so you, I just want you to know, all right, to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Sounds simple, right? Sounds really simple. I, I feel like it's important in this moment to understand the significance of being a disciple of Jesus. Specifically, I think it's important for us to understand the the importance of being a disciple, period. I think it's important for us to understand that first century, the the context of this, the, the, the day this happened, first century Jewish culture, I know there's some Jewish scholars in here, so don't judge about what I'm about to say because I'm a simple guy. It takes me a while to get this stuff. But there is a deep understanding here that we skip over. Like, yeah, totally. Those guys were great. Those guys were B team. JV and the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, asked them to follow him. Who wouldn't follow him, right? But there's more to the story. First century Jewish culture and the education system, like it was all built around being a disciple of a rabbi, of a teacher. It, let, me, let me explain it this way. So in first century Jewish culture, all of their education system was built around learning the Torah. The Torah is the law. The Torah, if you have a Bible, um, the Torah is essentially Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All the way up to Joshua. We just finished a series on Joshua. But it's essentially that. All of their education was built on this. They started around five years old. I would say a good way to say it is elementary school. So when it was time for the children in first century Jewish culture to go to school, um, they would call it Beit Shafar. And it's, but we would refer to it as elementary school. This was their textbook. Everything was centered around this. And their local education was also centered around the local synagogue. Specifically around, they would find and pay, or contract out, so to speak, a rabbi to come in and teach different parts of this Torah. Beit Shafar for them was simple. It was for every single kid. Boy, girl, 
in that process from about five years old to about 10 years old. Here's the thing. They wouldn't just learn it. Most of them, they'd memorize it. The entire thing. Did I mention Leviticus is in that? <laughs> and, and some of y'all are like, and like, I don't, and the next time I do a Bible quiz, this, this was like textbook when I was a youth pastor. Did a Bible quiz or like had to like stump some kid. How many, how many of each animal did Moses bring into the ark? And if y'all say two right now, we need to have a talk. Because it was Noah, not Moses. Right? But they would know this because they would memorize this entire thing. I know, like, even like we just beat ourselves up because there's a lot. There's a lot in here, but this is like, this is all they knew. And Beit Shafar, by the age of 10, this is what would happen. It was only a training ground for secondary school, or what we would call junior high or high school. But what would happen in first century Jewish culture is by age, by junior high, or specifically around age 10 to 12, is they would leave to go and take the family trade. They would go help at home. They would go and take on the family business. So a lot of them would, would, would end their general education there. Unless you were a part of the best of the best. Like you got it. You knew the Torah backwards and forwards. And this rabbi, this rabbi, that this local teacher, this local, they knew it and he taught it, that they would hire out, that he would do all this training with them. He would choose the very few that would go on. And if you made the next level, if you made the next level, that next level is called Beit Midrash. If you made that next level, you're, you're part of the elite. And for the next three to eight years, up until about the age of 20, you would be in the race. Because the ultimate story, then this is what would happen. They wouldn't just re-study the Torah. They would move on to the rest of the oral tradition of Jewish culture. They would study the prophets. They would study all like, y'all, it gets a bit thick. And they would memorize. That's a lot. They knew the word. But here's the thing. Eventually, the rabbi had to choose a few disciples. And only a couple made a cut, the cut. Only a few made the cut. And this is cool because around age 12 was when they made that shift into Beit Midrash. And then if they made the cut, you know what? how old they would be before they themselves the ultimate goal was for them to become a rabbi, to become just like the rabbi, to become just like their teacher. Do you know what age they would begin that? If they made it, 30. If you catch my drift here, you see Jesus' life. You see something happen at age 12. 
You see, he began his ministry at age 30. He made that through that. And now people see him and call him and treat him as a rabbi. Let me pause right there on all that. There's this story that is in um, the Gospels. It's one of my favorite stories. You're, you're familiar with it. The disciples are out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They're on a boat. The storm is raging. And in or out comes, out on the water, walking on the water, is Jesus Christ. Just walking on the water. And who steps up and says something? Our favorite disciple. Our favorite disciple. Peter. What does Peter say? Peter says, Peter says, Hey Jesus, can I, would you ask me to come out there? Like would you, would you choose me to come out? Like would you have me come out there? And Jesus says what? Come. And you know how the story goes. Now, I think there's a significant point here. Is when Jesus chose the disciples, not just in that moment, when Jesus chose his disciples, back when he chose them, what were most of them doing? Some of the, yeah, more of the popular ones and the more popular stories, a lot of them were fishing. So they could have been, they could have been like anywhere from teenage boys to somewhere in their early 20s. So take into consideration, follow me. Guys, I know, follow me, okay? Everything I just said, what did that mean for them if they were fishing? They didn't make the cut. They didn't make the cut for the real rabbis. They didn't make the cut for that first century Jewish culture. They went back to fishing. That's all they knew. They went back to their trade, their family business. They, They were doing what... Everybody else, most of what everybody else did. So it's significant when Jesus comes along and he says, I choose you. Jesus has chosen you to be a part of this no ordinary family of God. And in that situation, Jesus chose his disciples. What did he choose them for? And if, you, if you've been here more than once or twice, you know I refer to this, this phrase all the time. Like, these disciples were the B team. They were the JV. They were like the guys that didn't make the cut. That's important. Because, y'all, I don't think it, I, I wouldn't have made the cut. None of us, I don't know if anybody would have made the cut. Because Jesus, what Jesus was asking of his disciples, he was asking of them to sacrifice everything. What was the prerequisite to follow Jesus? To deny themselves. To pick up their cross daily and follow him. Did he say anything about knowing the Torah back and forth? Which I bet they still did. Because again, the Torah and the law and all that was the sinner. It wasn't like that they were uneducated to the law and to the principles and the understanding and the oral tradition of God's word. Ah, this is so good. Because I think this is, you need to know this. Is that God, or Jesus, chose them, them, to change the world. To flip this world upside down. To take the message 
of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, that the world can be forgiven, that the world can be restored to a holy God. And he left it in the hands of these B-team junior varsity boys and girls and people that literally just didn't make the cut. That's encouraging to me. Because I know that when Jesus came and he sacrificed ultimately himself, his life, it wasn't just for the elite. It wasn't just for certain types of people that could make the cut. And ultimately Jesus is challenging you and he's challenging me to be a disciple of him. To follow him. So what do we need to do? We need to deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily and follow him. Now this is a great concept, Jesus is, right? Jesus is a great concept. It's a great idea. But I need to tell you this morning that Jesus is not just an idea or a concept. Jesus is a person. Jesus is a person. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, has come to live. He died. He rose. He knows you. He made you. He saved you. And by faith, you have this opportunity, even today, to step forward and to follow him, to be his disciple, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross daily and follow him. Even today, if you've made that decision, if you are making that decision to follow Christ, there's this thing called where we get to celebrate outwardly this inward decision. We're going to go down to a river down in Warren, Pennsylvania, and we're going to dunk, I think there's like 11 of them, under the river and out of the river. It's going to be beautiful and glorious. It's going to be this amazing picture of what Jesus wants to do and is doing and can do in your heart, in your soul, in your mind. Let me leave you with this. Jesus has chosen you to be a part of this no ordinary family of God. And that invitation is open for all of you if you're hearing this message. But this is what I want you to leave with. Jesus has chosen you. And some of y'all theological people in the room, whether you're Arminiast, whether you're Calvinist, <laughs> you like how I emphasize like way over to the left side, um, or if you have no idea what I just said, <laughs> meanwhile, Jesus is like, yep.
Yep. Absolutely. I mean, you're, wait, you're telling me I don't know who? I know everything. Wait, and you're telling me that somebody's hearing today that Jesus cannot just be a concept or an idea? Jesus is like, wait, you're telling them the good news that I can, that I can save them, that I died for them, that even today or this weekend being Memorial Day where we remember the sacrifice of our soldiers who ultimately gave their life for our freedom. The beautiful picture what Jesus Christ gave on that cross for our eternal freedom, our abundant freedom. Jesus is not, he's, he would say, I'm not just a great concept. I'm not just a great idea. I'm not just this, hey, be really nice to everybody. Oh, I love you in Jesus' name. I'll do nice things, church. Reach to your city, do great things. Have big dreams and ideas for your city. I'm saying I want to save your soul. I want to bring you to life in my name, in the name of Jesus. That's what he would say. And he wants no distraction from them and no distraction from them. Although they got really good points, both of them. Jesus, meanwhile, is saying, I'm here. You hear my voice. You hear that you can be a disciple of mine, not because you walk through bait midrash and bait. All the, you don't even remember what I said. I don't even either. It's not the point. But if you're willing to deny yourself and pick up the cross and by faith follow the person of Jesus, he's knocking on your heart. He's knocking at the door. Would you let him in? man. He wants to change everything and renew everything in your heart and your mind. Worship team, you guys can come up. I just want to close with this final thought. What was the last thing? What was the last thing? <laughs> Jesus asked Je Jesus eventually said to Peter on the water, come. Peter steps out of the boat, starts to walk. And then it says that he saw the wind and the waves and he started to sink. Jesus reaches and grabs him. They pull him up. They pull him to the boat and like everybody's making fun of Peter. Everyone's cracking jokes like, ah, he's just in the pool trying to walk on water. Ah. And then Jesus is like, shh. And they're like, imagine that moment. Peter's faith, yes. But here's what I want to point out. I've heard my whole life that we're to have faith in God. But what about God's faith in you? Think about that. What about Jesus' faith in handing the keys of everything to those B-team disciples? Why on earth is Conduit and every other great church in the city, why is the local church the plan A for Jamestown in helping and serving and loving our city, bringing wholeness and redemption in those places and broken? What about Jesus having faith in us? What was the last thing? <laughs> Woo! Jesus' greatest 
drop the mic moment. What was the last thing that Jesus told those fellas to do? Go. Make disciples. He just mantled rabbi, teacher, leader, world changer on them. Imagine that. And if they're capable, he knows you. He knew, and even in his foreknowledge right now, he can trace all the way down from generation to generation to generation to generation over the pond to the United States. He can change from generation to generation to generation to you. To you. To you. To you in this very moment. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, be encouraged, be empowered, and go make disciples. You've been mantled with the same thing. And if you're here today and you're like, I'm not on the team, I'm not in the family of God, you need to know that today, if you're hearing my voice, you can be forgiven of your sins. You can be set free. Jesus has chosen you. He has set you free. He's already paid the price. There is no ordinary sacrifice in his death. May we go do the one job we have. Make disciples. And if you're here today and you need prayer, you want to receive Jesus, you want to be saved, you want today to be a brand new day, you want things to become brand new, you want to be walked through what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus I would love to pray with you up front. There's others that would love to pray with you up front. If you need just a moment up here on your own to pray and just, God, I'm in. I know you've chosen me. And I know I'm in and I'm giving my everything because you've mantled this responsibility. Then come. Then come. Would you stand?